the mindset to discover that you don't know what you don't know. So to always be open-minded and adaptable. Things change all the time. Welcome to Working Women Mentor, a podcast that empowers everyday women like you, like me, to share and learn from life's mentor moments. I am your host, Rainey Alpers, and in each episode, you will meet inspiring women that understand the power of recognizing mentor moments and how those moments can change it all. These fabulous women are here and ready to share it all with you. So let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Working Women Mentor. On today's episode with Jenny Ja, she is the founder of Sipping Streams Tea Company. She's an author of The Essence of Tea, and she's the host of The Essence of Tea podcast. In today's episode, she is sharing so much with us. And when I tell you you're going to fall in love with tea, Jenny, and this beautiful city of Fairbanks, Alaska that she lives in, What I think is beautiful about this is it certainly reminded me of the memory of how much I enjoy tea, but I love Jenny's enthusiasm for her community, for supporting other small businesses. She's winning competitions around the world. She's the only geothermal tea farm in the world. So whether you like tea, whether you like mentor moments, whether you want to learn a little bit about what it takes to keep going, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Let's meet Jenny. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on Working Women Mentor today. I'm very, very excited to meet you, to talk tea, and to hear all about what you're working on. Uh, But before we get started, please share a little bit about yourself with our audience. Yeah, my name is Jenny Dea, and I live here in Fairbanks, Alaska, where today it's springtime, but for some reason it's minus six this morning. But (laughs) so it's pretty chilly for springtime in Alaska, and I own a tea company, I've had my tea company for 16 years, and I'm the founder of Sipping Streams. We also have won numerous 11 international awards. We also started during COVID the first ever tea farm in Alaska. And that was probably, I would say it honestly, is probably a COVID project. Like the idea came (laughs) during COVID. And it's the first ever geothermal powered tea farm in the world. That is so interesting to me. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. First of all, the ideas that came to you during COVID, you're all the way in Fairbanks, Alaska. You're sipping a cup of tea right now while we're talking. You have the only geothermal powered tea farm in the world. So please walk me through this. Tea farms are all over the world, right? Right. They naturally are not in a greenhouse, but they're grown in regions that can sustain the plants that have high moisture content. So that means like good humidity. And it also doesn't have to be hot. Some people think tea is a tropical plant. It's not necessarily a tropical plant. There's different varietals that grow at different latitudes in the world, but none this far north. And because of our latitude, about um, 65 degrees latitude, we're 100 miles south of the Arctic Circle. Like I could just drive to the Arctic Circle in a day, like less than a day. And so our tea plants actually have to be grown in a greenhouse, but it gets minus 40 degrees here in the wintertime, Fahrenheit. So it easily gets to a very, very bone chilling temperature that would not sustain tea plants. And so you have to think about what are you going to do to keep this greenhouse warm year round? 
Well, if you want it sustainable, fossil fuels, wood, coal, all those things are actually not sustainable, especially because the tea plant itself is actually an evergreen tree. It's a tree. And so the reason why they look like trimmed hedges is because they're trimmed. They're trimmed at a shorter level so the tea pickers can pick the tea leaves. So we have a high tunnel greenhouse, which is usually in most places, it's used for temporary purposes. But at this one location here, about 60 miles out of my town here in Fairbanks, Alaska, there's a place called China Hot Springs Resort, and they have the only geothermal power plant that's run on natural hot springs. So if you've heard of like Iceland, you know, they have geothermal energy there. Here in Fairbanks, Alaska, we have geothermal energy from the hot springs that people fly here from all over the world, soak in the hot springs, watch the northern lights. But this whole resort is also completely sustainable. So all the electricity, all the lights, wow, everything is off of the geothermal heat. And the plants are even watered from the hot springs water. So you're getting the energy from them, essentially, and that's warming the greenhouse and where you're growing the tea. Yeah. So it's not that it's necessarily producing electricity. The only electricity that's required in this greenhouse is for the summertime, like when the fans are running for airflow, like fresh air. Wintertime, we have fans inside because the dampers have to stay closed. Otherwise, they might freeze open. And also for the grow lights for the LED plant grow lights, because here it also has no sunlight on winter solstice, which is December 21st. With lack of sunlight, the plants can't make leaves. Right. And you need leaves for tea, don't you, Jenny? <laughs> yep, exactly. So um, that's the only electricity. Other than that, there's pipes that go under the ground that have tubes of where the water flows and it keeps the soil temperature warm. Very so this, these are trees grown in the ground. Yeah. So once it's warmed, it won't freeze the plants, essentially. And so, yeah, yeah, in a sustainable way. So why Alaska, Jenny? Because I imagine there's other places to grow tea that you don't have to <laughs> worry about the cold weather. I mean, you moved there and started a farm. How did all this happen? So I actually grew up here in Fairbanks, Alaska. I was born in Hong Kong. And so I grew up here, but when I went to college, I studied athletic training, which is sports medicine and physical education teaching. So I went away and I was the first to graduate from high school and go to college and graduate college in my family because we were immigrants. And so I grew up here in Alaska. When I moved to Boise State for college, I didn't want to stay there. Like every summer that I could, I'd come back home. I just love the community of Fairbanks, Alaska. We're considered the golden heart of Alaska. And even with my previous careers, before I started my tea company, I worked in physical therapy. I was a high school teacher. And community is very much core of how our town is run. We have this saying that the population rotates every 90 days through this town because of the military, because of the university, because of different other seasonal like tourism, because of our natural resources here. Fort Knox gold mine is over here. We've got, you know, oil companies that are in Alaska. We've got yeah. tons of reality shows. There's all different things that bring people to Fairbanks, Alaska that for re different reasons. And so, with this ever-changing population, the people who stay here who are locals have this sense of like, we're all in it together and we're very open to each other and very collaborative. 
It, it seems so welcoming for all the transient people in and out. I mean, you have to have a welcoming community. They're coming back for a reason other than your renewable resources and everything else you have going on there. But it says a lot about the community that you're in and the people around you. So if you grew up there, you returned there, how have you seen the community evolve since you lived there over time? Well, it definitely has gotten bigger. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have a lot of the a lot of big box stores. I mean, we don't have them all. We don't have a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or anything yeah. like that. But one of the biggest things that I would say is a positive in our town's evolution is even though we've gotten bigger, the grasp on supporting local, there are so many small businesses here and people even outside of Fairbanks. So in the bigger town of Anchorage, Alaska, which is about eight hours south of here, even the people in Anchorage are like, how are there so many restaurants in Fairbanks that are all small businesses? But when you think about it in general, we do support each other and we support each other's small businesses, which has been amazing because people are looking for that. When they come here, they want that, you know, small town feel. Even though we've grown, we still have this support of everyone's innovations and ideas and even their small businesses. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it makes me want to visit, just so you know. Just super charming and small. And I love this support local. So that's incredible. So I'm sure they support your business as well. And before we get into all of that, give us an idea of the history of tea. Take me into the tea world for a few moments, because it's truly one of the most popular drinks around the world. Whether you drink coffee, you drink tea, I feel like everyone at least has tea in their life at some point. Yeah. So it's very interesting that you say that because my story, my personal story is probably a journey that a lot of people go through. Because even though I was born in Hong Kong and I was an immigrant, I did not grow up a tea drink, okay? So I grew up in Alaska. We're a coffee-drinking state. I've been drinking coffee since I was four, you know, just black coffee. And then we're very isolated from the rest of the country and then from our friends and family over the ocean. So here, being a kid in the early 80s, just trying to assimilate, trying to fit in, speaking another language, and then, you know, being really tiny. I'm only 4'9" but my whole family is really small. It's like the way that I made myself like, quote unquote, survive is that people think I'm smart because I'm Asian. (laughs) I think I get good grades, which is kind of funny because I was not in the gifted program. I was not in the honor society. Like I struggled with grades, except I was really good at sports. So bullies could only pick on me so much because they needed me on their team, which I thought was very fascinating because- They couldn't be too mean to me because on the playground, when we're all socializing, they're like, oh, no, we need Jenny on our team. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Good way to make um, friends. (laughs) Yeah. It's very interesting. But anyways, so when I got into tea my last year of college at Boise State, it wasn't because it was healthy for me. It wasn't because I was Chinese and I was trying to find my roots. It was quite the opposite. It was because it was the cheapest thing on the coffee shop menu. I had to pay my student loans back. I started drinking tea. People started asking me questions about tea, which I had no idea. I didn't even think that tea was a Chinese thing. Someone said, oh, I heard, you know, are you drinking tea because you're Chinese? I'm like, what? What does that even mean? Like, I don't know what that means either. I've been drinking it for like 
Yeah. And so I'm like, where's tea from? So that's why I say these things that, you know, that's a great question because of these questions that I got because I was literally drinking tea because it was inexpensive. It piqued my curiosity. Remember, I was also going into education and all educators want to do really good educators is they want to help, right? They don't know the answers to everything, but they want to help. They want to discover. They want to share. So I started my own tea journey from then, from my last year of college. And then even when I worked at the physical therapy clinic, I was learning about like where tea was from. So tea is from China. Oh, okay. I didn't really know <laughs> You're that. Like, Great. Like, Good to know. But it's like tea is from China. Tea is from India. Those are the two largest exporting countries in the world. It is the number one consumed beverage in the world next to water. Wow. And it's grown actually all over the world. It can be grown in Africa. Actually, there's because of the British colonization, it's grown in Argentina. There's places in Scotland that grow tea now, kind of like me, that grow it in a greenhouse, but just not geothermally. Japan, all these different places grow this one plant as long as it can survive. If the plant can survive, of course, you can grow it there. But there's places that just have a natural climate and have the space, the um, acreage for that type of thing. And I was not a history person. My passion is like math and science. That's what I lean towards. I'm not a very good artist. I didn't really care about history when I was in high school, other than world history. And so when I was starting to learn about the history of tea, I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense. Like it was more fascinating to me. And I wasn't good at economics either, but it made sense, like the trade of tea, how right. it was from China. And then how people from the British tried to smuggle out tea plants and then went to India and then went to Africa. And I'm like, why is this so popular? And why do people seek it so much? And then it correlates to how people feel. So back then there wasn't all this research, at least not the same way that research is done today in a lab or with a case study. There was research on each other, right? In stories, in traditions, yeah. which are very important to understand that those things are still important, especially for all indigenous cultures too, because that's how their history is passed on. It's like we see them with pictures drawn on the walls or they're telling stories about this warm cup of tea. And it, it starts to transcend from a place of how it made a person feel and that word spreads, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. So the proof of this tea plant that has been around for over 4,000 years, these traditions, these stories, and they all have the same origin story of China. If you ask someone from India for the tea farm, they're not gonna be like, oh no, really it's from India. No, everyone says it's from China. There's gotta be a reason why, right? That's right. And the trade at the industry for something that could be so nutrient dense, like, they don't even realize it's nutrient-dense, but by the time they drink it, okay, it's transported across the ocean from China all the way to South of Africa, all the way to Europe. I'm sure it's been on that boat for a really long time, right? That's like, right. how fresh is that tea? Yeah. But by the time they put it in the water, it has all this flavor, aroma. So even the way that tea holds its nutrients is really powerful. How it's been transported to give good flavor, a good experience, and to build community. So, I mean, those are some things of how tea has become today. And those are also the same things that make me passionate about tea because I've seen those same effects happen to my life, helping me improve my health and wellness during burnout when I was a young entrepreneur and didn't understand what burnout was, and also bringing my family closer together building and healing relationships, opening up pathways for communication as like a moment, as a memory, as an event. 
And there's so many health benefits, right? I mean, to your point, it's yes. like it's powerful both in health and bringing people together. What can be better than that? Yeah. And so when I saw that happening to my immediate family and to myself, I was like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. It connects different generations together too. And so I was like, I got to do this, like this thing. I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, remember, I didn't grow up being encouraged to be an entrepreneur. So my parents going back is that they had their own restaurant when I was a kid. Okay. And then my dad lost his business because he had a bad business partner that embezzled all the tax money. Oh, no. So he had to declare bankruptcy. He lost his multi-million dollar company. And so when I was a kid, I remember about that age, about nine years old, my dad told us all, don't ever become an entrepreneur. Don't ever own a business. Yeah, there was a fear kind of put into there of like, don't do it because bad things can happen. Well, yeah, I remember we had like food stamps. Um, I mean, like I didn't understand that's what it was, but we'd go to the grocery store. Then we were on the free lunch program. And my dad had to be traveling to the North Slope. We're all along the pipeline as a chef. So he was almost never home since then until he was able to stabilize his finances. And so I was like, okay. So we had no dream of ever, ever, not, not even an inkling. I was like, okay, pick something state, be a doctor. Well, I didn't become a doctor, but I worked in the medical field and then I was a teacher. So that's why it was kind of strange. Like when T was almost like pulling at me, like pulling at my soul and how I could see connections and how I was seeing it transform like myself, just drinking tea, thinking about tea, talking about tea, learning about tea. And I was like, oh, this is like really powerful. Not as like a religion or something like that, but just of a way of connectedness. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up starting my tea business. But a lot of tea drinkers who come to me who are like beginning tea drinkers, they're all pulled at these common threads that you find tea does for you. You really have a great point about what it does, what tea does to bring us all together and the tradition of it. And, you know, I grew up in Louisiana. And so coffee is like straight Louisiana. That, that's what people drink there. That's what people drink all day. That's what infants, I think, drink back in the day growing up. And so for me, it was coffee milk because a lot of milk and a little bit of coffee. And now it's completely changed. Now it's all coffee and no milk. But when I was growing up, my mom wasn't a coffee drinker. I was, but she was a tea drinker and she made tea more of a special occasion for us. So I knew when she was having a wonderful day, when she wanted to share a, a nice moment with me, she'd make a very formal pot of tea in her china pot and her beautiful plates and some homemade snickerdoodles. And we'd sit down and have tea and talk. And it's a really good memory. It's uh, I can smell the tea that she would drink or serve. It was like an orange spice. Uh, or sometimes it was an Earl Grey with a little cream in it. But to this day, when I think about tea, I think about those fun moments. You're making me smile just thinking about this because it's been a while since I have. So tea lights me up. Coffee keeps me going, Jenny. So I know that business and entrepreneurial was not in your early path, but you certainly have come a long way. You have your own company now. And mentorship is something that you enjoy speaking about and being a part of. How do you feel like you're incorporating that into your current business? Because you sound like you didn't have a mentor trying to help open your business. And so how are you giving back and what are you doing right now? So I've been a speaker about four times at the World Tea Expo. I also have my own local community here. So at the World Tea Expo, I've talked about like SOPs, how to create operation procedures for a company, how to hire people, how to 
evaluate staff. Now, a lot of that stuff does go back to when I was a teacher, right? Because you've got your team, you've got your team of students. With my background in sports, that's essentially like coaching, mentorship, it's very similar. So you're always evaluating, you're always improving. You're looking at where something didn't go as well and how it can be improved. And then there has to be a lot of encouragement. So there has to be an evaluation and then there has to be a plan to improve and then a reflection of that improvement with praise because you've gotten through that hump. So most of my business, it wasn't until like over 10 years into my business that I actually had a business coach, right? I didn't even know those things existed. I just knew I did stuff with the small business network here in our town. But so many came to me naturally already that even though I didn't have a business mentor, a lot of other people would be asking me for mentorship. I thought that was so strange because I'm like, wait, why are you asking me? Because you've had to figure everything out yourself, right? So it's like you figured out how to do it or what to do, or it just came naturally. And so it's it's sometimes surprising when they come to you. Yeah. And I would have like lots of like startup. We would have these annual startup weeks encouraging small businesses. And they would always have me as a speaker to share with other people my story and my biggest takeaways. And many times people would ask me about my marketing strategy. And I think that passion drove a lot of that, especially with me with the mindset of being a teacher, being a coach. It's the way that I grew up in a way. Even in our town, people are like, oh, you've got a question about business. You should just call up Jenny. I'm not a business coach. I don't get paid for it. It's like you've done these things already. So it's like you have no problem sharing. When you know something, it's so much easier to share it. And it's usually when that person needs it at that moment. It's like your coach. You don't need one for everything. Sometimes you just need it for something you're going through or trying to figure out or work on. You know, we need information for so many different reasons. And it's good to be known. It's not like you're really known as the go-to source in your town. So what would be your mentor moment that you would share with everyone? Because I know you've learned so much through life, but what do you think you have to share? So my mentor moments is the mindset to discover that you don't know what you don't know. So to always be open-minded and adaptable. Things change all the time. Okay, so when I started my business in 2007, and then I saw the stock market crash on the TV right after I started my business, and then the housing market and everything else, I started at a very turbulent time, and it's still very turbulent. But those that I've seen who, I don't want to say they freak out, but like really, really worry, it's, I used to be a big time worry, especially when I was a kid. Okay. I grew up with my brother being autistic. I still take care of him. He lives with me full time. And so looking and reflecting will help you see all the good stuff, which is super important. In all the turbulence, you got to pull out the good stuff and lean into it and then see where you can improve. You can look with the mindset that's all bad, but you don't know what you don't know. So taking time to reflect is super, super important. So just time to sit and think, not to veg, but to literally think about your business. Maybe it's going to be like you put on a timer for 15 minutes and just think really hard, brainstorm, write it on a piece of paper, however you need to do it, meditate. People learn in different ways. I mean, being a teacher... I know everyone learns in a different way, but you need to have devoted time to reflect because you don't know what you don't know and always be listening and aware, kind of like your child 
who's like listening in the background. Like you think they're not listening and then oh, they, they hear say everything. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. And then we have a wise moment and you're like, how'd you know about that? I'm like, well, I listen to everything. So just be aware, be reflective, be listening and be flexible. Jenny, we are all listening to you today. It's come full circle for you, hasn't it? And I'd love to know how you being so open-minded, you being so, you know, ears wide open, how that's helped your business evolve, how that's helped you evolve along the way. I think it makes me very quick to make changes and to adapt. Um, I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing, but when I was going through my program to become a PE teacher, that's what all my mentor teachers said about me. I had two mentor teachers who would watch me while I was student teaching, and then they would evaluate me. And they said, one of your strengths is you're highly adaptable. You see something not working, and in five minutes, you've changed it for that student. You said, how about we modify it like this? And you just look out for that. So being very adaptable and making the changes quickly and testing and trying. I'm not saying the adaption is going to help. We're going to make it better. You just don't know. Again, you don't know. If you don't know, just try it. And if you're like, oh, that didn't work, because you're not going to put all your eggs in one basket, right? You're not going to invest so much time and thousands of dollars in there. If you just test and try, it's just a little bit. Test, just and, test try. and try. And, and it doesn't have to be It's not a commitment forever. It, it's, I think some people, yeah. try, it's like, they, they don't sometimes try because they feel like, I'm not exactly sure about that or what? that doesn't work. And I love your very relaxed and easygoing way about it because you're right. If we just take those steps, you never know what could happen, but you don't know unless you try. Being open-minded and also being able to be observant enough to see what actually needs to be changed is probably one of your super talents. Because a lot of people may be able to even make the change, but they don't know what they need to change yet. And so it's like they have to work together, right? I love that. It's a wonderful observation about you. You mentioned, you don't know if it's a cultural thing about adaptability, but you do talk about being first generation in your family, and certainly first to go to college and graduate. And that's really exciting. How do you think your culture that you've experienced in growing up where you did and having the business that you do today has shaped your life? So, that, yeah, I feel like that actually has a lot to do with my adaptability. So when I came to America, my parents were in the restaurant industry. And so my mom didn't have to speak English. So my first language was Cantonese. And so I remember like looking at books and I had kids books that my mom would have shipped from overseas. And I'd be learning Chinese because that's what she spoke. And then it wasn't until I had to go to public school that I actually had to learn English in kindergarten. So even though I grew up in Alaska, then, I, but I didn't speak English, which means like I had pretty sheltered community, right? And then I go to school, public school, and kids tease me. Because wow. back then in the early 80s, it was not socially acceptable to be diverse in different cultures. So I was teased all the time. I was made fun of how small I was. And that my parents would be speaking to me in Chinese. It was really hard growing up. I remember one day I came off the bus and I was crying and I told my mom, these kids won't stop teasing me. And this is what my mom's defense was. Nothing. She said, that's just how life is. And I was like, what? Okay. And so, I mean, she gave me no advice, no sympathy. And I was like, fine, then I'm not going to be Chinese anymore. I'm not speaking Chinese at home anymore. I'm not going to use chopsticks. I don't care. I'm American. And switching over to apple pie and hot dog, mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And she was like, fine. You know, like she just let me be. 
And then when I think about how my grandparents were like, because I'm the oldest out of three. So being Chinese from a traditional Chinese family, the oldest has it the hardest. There's no help. Okay. The other kids, they got help. They got sympathy. They got hugs. I'm not saying that my parents are like terrible to me, but it's like, you better make it because you're the leader of the family. You're the next generation. I see. And so that mindset was like, don't talk to the adults unless they talk to you. You sit there and you be quiet and you observe. And you might be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And this is me like evaluating when I was a kid, right? But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I learned how to be able to listen. I learned to be able to adapt. I learned how to watch how people did things and to mirror them so that I would fit in. And that's helped me actually significantly in my business because I deal with international businesses in the tea trade. When I travel overseas, doesn't matter if you're Indian, doesn't matter if you're Japanese. If I listen first and I observe your mannerism and I reflect that to assimilate, right? right. I, the whole like drinking coffee thing yeah. and not making waves. I'm meeting you halfway. I'm not making fun of you. I'm quietly observing and these small like almost subconscious actions make other people feel more comfortable do. around Absolutely. you. So I think that's probably one of the most powerful things is my upbringing being so hard on a little kid that now I'm highly adaptable as an adult. Yeah, to be able to observe. And it's interesting as you're talking, I can see you almost looking at yourself as a young child and just kind of going back. So I say, if there were a fly on the wall, it's like you're almost the fly on the wall right now. Thinking back to your childhood, and, and when you went through for your PE training, you mentioned that they said how adaptable and how observant essentially you were to be able to make those changes so quickly. How interesting that you were doing that at such a young age already. Way before you got to the PE teacher training. That's a really <laughs> strong quality. That is a really strong quality. I know that we've talked a lot about the business side of how you started and how maybe you're running things and a lot that you've learned over time. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the process of tea. So if someone's listening and they're like, hey, Jenny started drinking it, least expensive thing on the menu, I may want to try that. So I want to get into tea and learn something. Where do we start? Take us through it and give us some ideas. So there's all sorts of YouTube videos, right, out there. Yeah. And I say social media is probably not the place where you Not TikTok? Start. You don't want to go on TikTok so, and find somebody having a I mean, I, tea challenge or something? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, you, you could... But there's just, just too much information. So what I would say is this is what I did. I just started, well, I was gifted tea because a friend moved um, in college. So she gave me her whole pantry, all her ramen noodles, all oh, her red rose tea, whatever it was. So I was like, oh, that's a treasure. Tea. I'm just start drinking. A treasure when you're in college. (laughs) A free food from a pantry. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So look at your pantry because you might actually have tea already. If you know you like coffee, I would say go with a black tea. It's very similar in that darker flavor. If you like your coffee with cream and sugar, then you can put cream and sugar in your tea too. Anything that is similar to what you already drink. If you're a person who just drinks hot water, like my mom, literally just like whatever other people have, like your friends have. Like, what do you drink? Just ask people what they like to drink. But everyone's palate's different. And when we start with our palates of our own self, of our own experiences, our palate is like a memory bank of our own experiences. If there is something you absolutely do not like, 
it's because it's so foreign to you. It's going to take about 20 times of trying that same thing to acquire an okay baseline for that flavor. So my husband, when I met him, he thought he liked green tea. So he goes to my tea shop, buys a bunch of green tea from one of my employees. I was not there. Turns out he does not like green tea because he only liked terrible, old, stale green tea that somehow tasted like black tea. So he's like, I am not a green tea person. I spent a hundred bucks. I just gave it all away to my coworker because it was so green. But his so green fresh. tea that he was used to drinking. Yeah. Yeah, so it was so fresh. And so like his regular old stale green tea was just so like dark and lacked flavor because he was used to the grocery store. So like even if you went to the regular grocery store and bought like a sampler pack for us, we sell a variety pack on our website. So some people just start there. But, you know, I would not be influenced about what's trending because you might not like it. It might give you some ideas, but it could also be very overwhelming. So find something that you like and enjoy, whatever it is, test and try. And again, right? Test and try. Test and try. But they're in like variety. When you think of varietals, though, like what are the three, four most popular? Oh, yeah. So, okay. Green tea is green really tea. popular. Yeah. But not everyone but not everyone likes green tea. That's true. Like I said, I grew up as a coffee drinker. So, you know, I like the darker ones. If it's a tea shop and they have oolongs, that's actually my favorite. So there's technically five categories of tea. There's white, green, oolong, black, and poor tea. Okay. Those are all made from the same plant. And oolongs are the middle of the middle of that spectrum. Ah, so what that know. means is it's in between a green and a black tea. And there's actually so many oolongs. There's five subcategories of oolongs. And my favorite is the middle of the middle. So if I had to pick one, I'd shoot straight for the middle because maybe it kind of has a little bit of green flavor, maybe a little bit of darker flavor. But either way, that's a probably good baseline. So okay. shoot for the middle. Okay, perfect. And so I get the tea. Taken home. What are the do's and don'ts of making this cup of tea? Well, there's all these. I mean, we won first place at the World Tea Expo for the top tea infusionist. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It's like the international barista competition, for, but for tea. But honestly, I don't drink my tea like that. I just kind of throw it in and go. So like technically, it's about one teaspoon. You can always put a little less, one teaspoon of tea, two minutes steeping time. And like, if you're new, don't put boiling hot water in it. Because I don't know what kind of tea you're drinking. So steaming hot water is for green teas. Like the lighter tea that it is, you want steaming hot water. And then the darker the tea is, you move into a higher temperature water. So when you're making tea, you think of the spectrum of the color of the tea. From the lighter to the darker. So the lighter tea is, a white tea, a green tea, you only want steaming hot water. And if you don't have a thermometer or an electric $100 digital kettle, which you don't need, just listen for loud noises in your pot, your kettle. You just look for the steam. And the amount of tea that you use is one teaspoon. That's why it's actually called a teaspoon. And that's what I learned when I was learning about the history of tea. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, so one per eight ounces of water. That's it. And I'm leaving it in about two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Well, you, you make tea sound so easy, Jenny. So I appreciate that. Because when you go somewhere, sometimes a tea shop or a high tea or something, there seems to be a lot of rolls and people get uncomfortable about it. They're not sure how to do it. And so you really make it easy for everyone. And I want tea to be very easy and approachable. So I have a free digital copy of my book that I wrote called The Essence of Tea. 
And you just go to sippingonstreams.com slash my book. And you can download a free copy of the book. It's all in color. You'll be able to see the pictures of the tea and the tea farms that I've visited and my parents at their restaurant. But it's about how I got into tea and all the questions that I've gotten that helped me start my tea journey, actually. Like, what does it mean for tea to be tea? What are the health benefits of tea? That's so exciting. That's so generous of you. I know everyone listening will appreciate that. And thank you for the download. Thank you for being with us here today. Where can we find you on your social media and how can we reach you? Yeah, so you can find me anywhere on social media, pretty much at Sipping Streams. And you can also reach me directly. Listeners, if you have any questions at all, you can email me at hello at sippingstreams.com. Wonderful. Jenny, thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it. And I uh, will be thinking of you on my next cup of tea. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope you'll walk away feeling inspired and are thinking of how a mentor moment can help you or someone you know. In case you haven't hit the follow button to subscribe to this show, please do so. And if you love the episode, I'd really appreciate a review. You see, this review helps Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on know that other women just like you want to learn about the show and it'll help us spread the word. Let's connect on Instagram at Working Women Mentor or at Rainy Alfers. You can find all episodes online at rainyalfers.com forward slash podcast and the ability to send an audiogram of your favorite mentor moments. And we respond to everyone. I truly can't wait to hear from you. Check back weekly for new episodes and cheers until the next episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. And before we go, I'd like to take a moment to talk about anti-bullying. Anti-bullying is about creating a safe and supportive environment where everyone is treated with kindness, respect, and empathy. By standing up against bullying, we can promote a culture of acceptance and understanding and help to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to thrive and reach their full potential. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Working Women Mentor.